Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're learning how to do something, it is often helpful to learn by watching someone else who's already learned it. Some of you work in construction, and how, how does someone learn to frame a house or to, to mud and tape drywall or, or to install trim or, or to finish concrete? It starts by watching how somebody who already knows how to do it does it. I remember when I first started in construction and, and I learned how to mud and tape drywall. I had never used a trowel before. But I learned as I watched those who already knew how to do it. I, I saw how they, they held the trowel and, and how they angled it a certain way as they ran it along the wall and so on. We, we learn so much by example. And that's true also when it comes to the Christian life. The Christian life is really what Philippians 2, the chapter we've been considering the last few weeks, is all about. Already actually in chapter 1, verse, verse 27, the Holy Spirit through Paul calls Christians to live a certain way. He calls us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. By standing fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by our adversaries. But then in chapter 2, uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, really fleshes that out more. He, he, we're called there in chapter 2 to be like-minded, united together in love. We're called to live in radical humility and self-denial for the sake of our fellow Christians. We are called to have the mind of Christ, to be like Christ, working out our own salvation in obedience to Him with fear and trembling, doing all things without murmurings and disputing. There's, there's all these commands and instructions about how to live the Christian life, how Christians are to live. If you know yourself at all, it's, you realize it's a high calling. It's not easy. How do we do this? Where, where do we start? Is it even possible? What does it look like in real life? What does it look like in my life? Well, God's Word doesn't just show us the Christian life through commands and instructions. It also gives us examples to further instruct us and encourage us. And that's what we see in our passage, Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30, before us this morning. We see the examples of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And, and those examples are instructing us and encouraging us in regards to the Christian life that we've been called to live. It's not just about Paul's plans to send Timothy and his, his decision to send Epaphroditus and, and hopefully to come himself. No, it's about more than that. It's about Christian role models. Examples that we're called to appreciate. Paul says in, in, in verse 29 of Epaphroditus, when he's speaking about Epaphroditus, he says, hold such in reputation, hold such in esteem, in respect. So there are examples that we are called to appreciate and, and that we should learn from, that, that we should seek to imitate. Later on in, in chapter 3, uh, Paul speaks there in verse 17. He says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. 
So our theme then this morning is learning the Christian life from the examples of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And with God's help, we'll learn three things about the Christian life from them. First of all, is to be a life surrendered to the will of Christ. Secondly, is to be a life committed to the church of Christ. And thirdly, is to be a life devoted to the work of Christ. The first thing we learn from the examples of these men is that the Christian life is to be a life surrendered to the will of Christ. We see this especially in Paul's words at the beginning of verse 19 and verse 24. In those verses, he's talking about his, his plans. And in verse 19, he's talking about his plan to send Timothy to the Philippians. And in verse 24, he speaks about his plan to come visit them himself. Those are the things he's planning. Those are the things he's intending, even confidently expecting to do. But notice with me how he speaks of his plans. He doesn't just speak of them simply in terms of, uh, you know, he doesn't just say, I'm going to send Timothy shortly, or I'm going to come shortly. No, what does he say? He says in verse 19, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. And in verse 24, I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. The word translated trust in verse 24 is actually a stronger word even than the one used in verse 19. They, they both imply confidence, but verse 24 actually even more so. In other words, Paul's confident that he himself will come to the Philippians shortly. But it's confidence, you see, it's trust in the Lord. Now, commentators debate what exactly Paul means by that phrase. Does he mean these things are what he'll do if the Lord wills? Or, or does he mean that this is what he'll do because the Lord has somehow shown, them, shown him that this is his will? It's hard to know for sure, but, but either way, the basic point is clear. Paul is surrendered to the will of Christ. And that's an example for us of what the Christian life is to be. It's to be a life surrendered to the will of Christ. And when you live that way, you do live in conscious dependence on Christ's will. That's how Paul lived. He, he recognized that he was not in control of his life. Christ was. Paul lived in the conscious awareness that Jesus Christ is who? He's Lord. He's Lord. That's how he lived. That's the title he uses here in verses 19 to 24. I trust in the Lord Jesus. I trust in the Lord. Paul acknowledges that he, Jesus Christ, is Lord. And as verses 9 to 11 remind us, that means that he is sovereign over all. He rules over all. He's in control of everything, including Paul's life, including Paul's plans. So yes, Paul made plans. But he recognized that his plans, his purposes, his desires were all the Lord willing. You see this coming up at different points in his life and letters. He often says, I'll do this if the Lord permits, God willing, if, if, if the Lord allows. And you see that even in, in how he and his helpers came to Philippi in the first place. I've mentioned this before it. If you read Acts 16, you read that story of, of how they came and they, they weren't even planning to go to Philippi. 
They, they, were, they were in the southern part of Asia Minor, what we know today as, as Turkey. And, and then they tried to go north into Bithynia by the Black Sea. But what happened? Acts 16 tells us the Spirit somehow did not let them. And then Paul had that vision in the night, remember? He had that vision in the night of a man who, who, who was standing and, and saying to Paul, come over into Macedonia and help us. And so they went. They went to Philippi, a chief city in Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called them to preach the gospel to the people there. The, the point is, congregation, Paul lived in conscious dependence on the will of Christ. Many of you may remember Pastor Coldup Ganger. He was a dear godly minister in our denomination, and, but he passed away some years ago in 2015. He passed away suddenly of a massive stroke. Do you know the last sermon he ever preached was in Calgary Free Reformed Church, and he preached on James 4, verses 13 to 15. It's that, that passage that warns us against boasting about what we're going to do tomorrow in the future without any thought of the Lord as if we're in control of our lives. And it calls us to say, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's a sermon worth listening to. You can find it on Sermon Audio. But one of the things Dr. Ganger said to the congregation was this. He said, when you speak about your plans, you may put the phrase, the Lord willing, in it to make it look good. But are you conscious that it is all in the hands of God? That you are in the hands of God. James doesn't say if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. But he puts the words between. If we live, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And then Dr. Ganger, he went on to point out that as Christians, we are owned by Christ. He is our Lord. He has bought us with his own blood. And then he said this, Therefore, isn't it right if we are owned by Him to go to Him and say, Lord, this is what my plans are. And seek His blessing. He preached that sermon. Ten days later, he died. The Christian life is to be a life marked by conscious dependence on the will of Christ. Congregation, is that what your life is marked by? Is that how you make your plans? You know, we all have plans. We have plans for today. We have plans for this week. Some of us have plans to go to work, to, to start a project or continue a project or complete a project. We have all these plans. Some of us have plans to go to school. Some of us have plans to be mainly at home with the kids. And, and some of us have plans even far into the future. We have plans to travel maybe next month. We, we maybe have plans to have children or, or young people. You, you may have plans to uh, what you're going to do with your life. And none of that is wrong. We, we, we need to make plans. But as we plan, do we recognize that our lives, our times are in His hands? Do we recognize, as Proverbs 16 says... A man devises his way, a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Are we conscious of this? Do we live in conscious dependence on the will of Christ? That's how we're called to live. 
Because that's what Paul lived. And Paul, as a follower himself of Jesus Christ, is an example to us of what the Christian life is to be. It's to be a life surrendered to the will of Christ. That means living in conscious dependence upon His will. But not only that, it also means living in willing submission to His will. To His revealed will in His Word. But also to His his sovereign will, His providence in our lives. That's not always easy. Things weren't easy for Paul when he wrote this letter. Things hadn't gone exactly the way Paul had hoped, the way he had planned. He had planned to go to, to, go to Rome and from there to Spain. And now here he was. Yes, he was in Rome, but how was he in Rome? He was in Rome as a prisoner, chained 24-7 to a Roman guard. He knew Although he seems fairly confident in this letter that he'll be released, he, he knew that, he, that the, 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 the unpredictable Roman emperor Nero could very well put him to death. The point is, Paul knew that Christ's will for his people was sometimes difficult. It sometimes upended his own plans. It sometimes meant suffering. It sometimes meant sickness. It could even mean death. And yet he lived in willing submission to it. We saw that back in chapter 1. Do we? Sometimes that's the hardest lesson to learn, I think, in the Christian life. To live in willing submission to the will of Christ. By nature, we don't do this. We want to have and we want to do things our own way. We protest, we complain, we murmur, we argue against the Lord's way. It could be you're even here this morning and and you're struggling with that in your own life. Maybe it's a command that, that you've read in His Word. Maybe it's a call that you, you sense Him placing on your life. Maybe it's a difficult circumstance, a painful circumstance, a trial that He's He's put in your life. We say, why God? Just like children, when they're told to do something, sometimes they, 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 they resist, don't they? And they say with this kind of defiant attitude, this defiant tone of voice, why? Why? And so we try to resist. We push back. We get angry. And beloved, the problem, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try and change our circumstances. No, the problem is not trying to change our circumstances. The problem is so often in trying to change our circumstances without any concern about whether our efforts are in line with the will of Christ. As Christians, we're called to live in willing submission to His will, even when it's hard. Even when it means suffering. We've we've come across it before in this book, how the Lord, He he gives us at the end of of chapter 1, He says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. In congregation, there may be coming a day when this is going to become very real to us. And we love to talk about how God gives faith, how He gives He grants us faith. It's all a gift of Him, of His sovereign grace. But are we ready for suffering? Are we ready for what may be coming? 
Are we, are we going to live in willing submission if, if, if persecution comes? Are we going to live in willing submission to the Lord who said this will happen? We're called to live in willing submission to His will even when it's hard because we are not our own. We are His. We belong to Him. He is our faithful Savior and Lord. And everything is under His control. And so we should live in willing submission to Him, trusting in Him because He has promised. I know it's a verse that can be thrown around irreverently and, and callously, but He has promised that all things shall work together for the good of those who love Him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way in his comments on these verses. He says, The great characteristic of the Christian life is that it is, quote, a controlled life, it is bound together and surrendered and governed by the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul lived. That's what the Christian life is to be. And Paul was simply imitating Christ, who was surrendered to the will of his Father completely. But that's not all. It's not only to be a life surrendered to the will of Christ The examples in our passage show us, secondly, that the the Christian life is to be a life committed to the church of Christ. We see this in Paul, of course, in his concern for the Philippian church that he expresses at the end of verse 19. He says he wants to know their state. He's concerned for their well-being. He wants to know how they're doing. and That's why he planned to send Timothy and why he planned to come himself. That's why he sent Epaphroditus in the meantime to bring joy to the Philippians He was committed to them. In Paul, we see that commitment to the church of Christ, but we see it also, and especially here in Timothy and Epaphroditus. In verses 19 and 20, Paul reveals his plan to send Timothy. And he says says in verse 24, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ." then in verse 25 and 26, uh, when he writes about Epaphroditus, he, he says he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because he heard that you had heard that he had been sick. What, is, what are those examples, those descriptions of these men tell us? What do they show us? They show us that the Christian life is to be a life committed to the church of Christ, to the people belonging to Christ. When that is true of us, beloved, We will have a sincere care and concern for his church. Paul describes Timothy as one who will naturally or sincerely care for the state of the Philippian Christians. They don't have to worry. As he sends them, he's saying you don't have to worry that he's going to be in it just for himself. He even says says that, that no one else, he has no one else like him. Everyone else seeks their own, not the things of Christ. And we might read that and, and, and kind of scratch our heads and say, well, who's he talking about? I mean, he talks about Epaphroditus a few verses later. He has other helpers too. But, but the point is that Timothy, however we might understand that, Timothy wasn't like that. He was not seeking his own. He was seeking the things of Christ. Christ was the focus of Timothy's life, just like Christ was the focus of Paul's life. Not himself. And therefore, Paul's confident that he's a man who would sincerely care for the Philippian Christians. But do you see the connection Paul makes? 
Do you see the connection Paul makes? The two go together. When you are seeking the things of Christ, you will sincerely care for and love the people of Christ. That's exactly what Paul has called the Philippians themselves to do earlier in verse 4. To look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And, and that's who Timothy was. He was an example for the Philippians in that way. He was a man who would love them, who would deny and humble himself for them, for their well-being. He was a man who had the mind of Christ, the mind of the one who, who, whom Paul describes in verses 5 through 11, who though he was God... Yet he made himself of no reputation when he became a man and he humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. That's the kind of man Timothy was. And, Tim, and Paul says, that's the man I'm going to send you. And just by the way, just by the way, the journey from Philippi or from Rome to, to Philippi wouldn't have been a 20-minute drive. It was a weeks-long trip Already in that way, Timothy is, as one commentator, Dennis Johnson puts it, a miniature of Jesus. He's an example of the very life that we are called to live when we are Christians. All of us, especially those of us who are office bearers, but not just office bearers, all Christians are called to live our lives in sincere care and love for the church of Christ. All of us are to be miniatures of Jesus. What does that look like for us? Obviously, it's not going to mean visiting and helping Christians in Philippi. What about visiting each other? Not to gossip or to slander or to complain or to criticize others. Not to brag about ourselves, but but to encourage each other in the Lord to come alongside one another. To read the Bible and to pray together. To help each other live by faith in and obedience to the Lord. What about praying for each other? Praying not only for our own family, though, it should start there. Praying for our spouses, but but praying also for each other as church family. What about when you see a need in the congregation? Instead of wondering, well, who's going to fill that need? Maybe considering whether you yourself could fill that need. Whether you yourself may be called by God to meet that need. I know these things happen here, congregation. I'm not saying these things to rebuke us so much. I'm so thankful. I've heard it. I've seen it. These things happen. And that's something to be so encouraged by and thankful to the Lord for because it means that His Spirit is working. It's His Spirit that's doing it. But are we all caring for? That's my concern. Are we all caring for and loving each other? Are you? I know we've heard a lot about this in the past few weeks and, and maybe you're getting kind of tired of it. Of it. You're getting tired of hearing, oh, I need to be committed to the church. But I, I don't know, maybe. But, but you see, it's so easy to lose this even when we've had it. It's so easy to become self-seeking, living to please ourselves instead of seeking the things of Jesus Christ, instead of genuinely caring for each other. It's so easy to fall into gossip and slander and complaining about each other. It's so easy to live in a certain way, however we think we should live, not caring about the spiritual effect that that has on our fellow Christians. These are daily temptations, beloved, that we face. We have to guard against them. And besides that, there's 
There's always room to grow, isn't there? There's always room to grow. I'm challenging myself here more than anyone. Can't we grow in showing genuine care and love for each other's well-being? And I know it can be hard for many reasons. We cannot avoid what the examples in this passage are saying. The Christian life is to be a life committed to the church of Christ. And that means more than just showing up at church. It includes that, of course. But it means sincerely caring for and loving our fellow Christians. Not just some of them, but all of them. When you do, then you, you will also eagerly long to be with God's people. And we see that in our passage with Epaphroditus, don't, don't we? He, he was longing after all the Philippian Christians, it says in verse 26. It's a strong language. It's the kind of longing, the kind of longing Epaphroditus had was an eager and intense longing. It's used elsewhere in scripture to describe the longing of a hungry baby for its mother's milk. That's the kind of longing he had for, for the people, for his church. Paul used the same word to describe his own longing for the Philippians in chapter 1 verse 8. For God is my record, my witness, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels with the affection of Jesus Christ. He longed for them. Not only that, he was full of heaviness, full of distress. The same kind of distress, the same word is used for the distress that Jesus even had in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's in full of heaviness because the Philippians had heard that he was sick. And he had been. He had almost died. But God had mercy on him and healed him. And now he wanted to see them. The point is, Epaphroditus loved the church of Christ. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to bless them. He he longed for them so that he might calm the fears they may have had about him because of his sickness. There's the mutual love. It's so beautiful. Do you know the striking thing is? He longed for them. He longed to bless them. Even though he knew their imperfections. Even though he knew their weaknesses. Because he was one of them. He was their messenger. He was a Philippian. And again, congregation, he's an example for us. Do we eagerly long to be with each other. I mean, eagerly. Like, did, you, did we wake up this morning and say, I can't wait to be with my brothers and sisters in the Lord? Do we eager, eagerly long to bless and strengthen each other in the Lord, strengthen our hands in the Lord as David and Jonathan strengthened each other's hands, their faith in the Lord? It's not always so easy, is it? Look at Christ. You see, these examples, congregation, they're not examples that end in themselves. They're examples that point us to Christ. You look at Christ, and you look at how He longs and He loves to be with His people in spite of their imperfections and weaknesses. Think of when Jesus celebrated His last Passover in Luke 22, verse 15. You know what He said to His disciples? He said, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
What does that show us? It shows us that Jesus longed to be with his disciples. He longed to be with them, even though he knew their imperfections, even though he knew their weaknesses. He knew they didn't understand him most of the time. They hardly understood what he had come to do, if at all. But he loved them. He loved them, even though he knew they would all abandon him in fear when he was arrested. He loved them even though he knew that Peter was going to deny him. He loved them even though he knew that Thomas wouldn't, wouldn't believe that he had risen from the dead, that he would doubt him. Oh, Christian, if you know your own heart, if you know what lives there, don't you have to wonder how in the world Christ can long to be with you. Yet he does. It's, it's grace. It's amazing grace. We can't understand it. But surely then, shouldn't we long and love to be with and bless our fellow believers? Despite our, our weaknesses, despite our imperfections. The Christian life is to be a life committed to the church of Christ. What are you committed to? But there's one more thing that the lives of Paul and Timothy and Epaphrodite show us. They show us that the Christian life is to be not only a life surrendered to the will of Christ and a life committed to the church of Christ, but also thirdly, a life devoted to the work of Christ. And Paul says in verse 22, if you look there, he speaks, speaking of Timothy, he says, but you know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Then if you go down to verse 25, he, he describes Epaphroditus there as his brother, as his companion in labor, as his fellow soldier. And in verse 30, he says that because for the work of Christ, for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. These men, beloved, are devoted, their lives are devoted to the work of Jesus Christ. And they're examples to us of the Christian life. It's to be a life of service for the promotion and advancement of the gospel. That's how Paul describes himself and Timothy as serving together in or for the gospel. And Epaphroditus was a fellow laborer, a companion in labor, a fellow soldier. Now, of course, they had a particular calling. We understand that. And we don't have that calling, at least most of us. We, we, we're not apostles, of course. We're not helpers of apostles. Most of us are not pastors or office bearers. We're farmers, we're framers, we're construction workers, we're plumbers, we're, we're, we're mechanics, we're business people, we're contractors, we're, we're healthcare workers, we're stay-at-home moms, we're, we're students. And you might be thinking, how does this apply to me? Isn't this just for pastors and for church leaders? While serving for the promotion and the advancement of the gospel is certainly for pastors and church leaders. But it's not just their responsibility. It's the responsibility of all of us. At the end of chapter 1, I, I mentioned it earlier, Paul writes of his desire to hear that all the Philippian Christians are striving together. But striving for what? Striving for the violent overthrow of Philippi's city council and, and for its transformation into a Christian city by force? 
That's the kind of thing, congregation, that some people in the Christian church today are calling for. And in some ways, it's understandable. They're frustrated, they're angry, they're afraid of what's happening here in our nation, in the West. But that's not what Paul calls the Philippian Christians to strive for. He calls them to strive for the faith of the gospel. That's what we're to strive for. But how do we do that then in our particular callings? How about praying? How about praying regularly for and seeking opportunities to speak the gospel to others, to your co-workers, to your employees, maybe even to your employer or to your classmates, to your children at home? No, I think probably every, every generation of parents wishes they could find the secret to good parenting. But isn't the secret ultimately this? To promote and advance the gospel in your own home. By teaching it to your children. By opening this book. It's, it's, it's in English. It's not in Latin. We, can, we have it. We can open it. We can read it. We can study it. Speaking about it to our children. Do we do that? And not just reading it, but demonstrating the gospel in our lives, in the way we live in holiness, in, in thankful obedience to God, striving, striving to live in a way that brings honor and glory to Him. A Christian life is to be a life devoted to the work of Christ. And it may be a very ordinary way of doing it, just by being in your home and, and being faithful parents, faithful to each other as spouses, you know, in our marriages, we show the gospel of Christ. By being faithful to one another, by loving each other sacrificially, we, we demonstrate the gospel of Christ. That's, that's being devoted to the work of Christ. There's so many ways we do this congregation. Do we do it? When we live, when we live that way, in the promotion for the advancement and promotion of the gospel, we'll serve God, we'll serve Christ, and we'll do it sacrificially. Epaphroditus had been called and sent by the Philippian church to bring some relief to their beloved Paul. That was the work of Christ. Just bringing relief just to a fellow Christian, to a beloved apostle who is in need. He had been called and sent by the Philippian church. He was doing the work of Christ, but you know what happened? He got sick. And he almost died in doing it. Why? Because he regarded the work of Christ more important than his own life. And that's not just the calling. No, God may not call us. He may not bring us into a sickness and into death for our work for Christ. But he calls us to live in sacrificial service to him. Remember what he said in Matthew 16. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul?
The Christian life is to be a life devoted sacrificially to the work of Christ. William Hendrickson tells how in the African city of Carthage in the year 252 AD, there was a great plague. And he tells how Cyprian, a church bishop, a pastor there really, he sacrificed himself. He risked his life. He How did they do that? By caring for the sick, the people who were suffering from this plague, the the dying. And and he called his congregation to do that as well, to to bury the dead with with honor. The the pagan unbelievers weren't doing that. They they would simply throw the dead bodies out of the city and run run away in terror. Well, we may not have a plague at the moment. How are we sacrificing and denying ourselves for the sake of Christ? In our marriages, as parents, as children, in our work, at school, at church. Are we devoted to the work of Christ? Paul, Timothy, in Epaphroditus' congregation are examples for us of what the Christian life is to be. So that's now, having heard how they lived, let's seek to imitate them. Let's not just hold them in honor, hold such men in honor, of course we should, as Paul calls us to do, but let's imitate them, let's follow after them, because they followed Christ. And Christ, like no one else, surrendered His will to the will of the Father. And He, he, he committed Himself to his people, to his church. And he devoted his life to the work that the Father had given him to do for the salvation of sinners. What a Savior. So if you are here, some of you may be here, and you come to church, and that's wonderful. We're glad, we're thankful. But you come to church, you've been maybe coming to church for so long, you haven't yet committed your life to Jesus Christ. But you see, it's, it's so worth it to not commit your life to Christ, to not come to Him in repentance and faith, but to, to go on just content with sitting on the fence, trying to anyways. Don't you see that you lose your own life, you lose your own soul then? Don't do that. But come to Him. Come to Him and the Lord will grant you the forgiveness of sins. He will give you everlasting life and He will give you Himself. That's what God does. That's what Christ does in conversion. He gives you Himself so that you might live the Christian life to His glory. A life surrendered to the will of Christ. A a life committed to the church of Christ. And a life devoted to to the work of Christ. Because Christ... Congregation is everything. That's what Philippians 2 is saying. He is everything. Let's say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. Not in our own strength, but in dependence, in reliance upon God. Amen. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we Give thanks for this chapter in your word, a chapter that teaches us so much and that 
convicts us in many ways. We confess we need your help. We cannot do this on our own. And so we pray, Lord, that those who are here who have not yet been brought into the, the, the sheepfold of Christ, who have not yet turned to Christ and repented of faith, that they would not take this message and try to do it, try to do it in their own strength. They cannot. But Lord, that they would come to, to Jesus empty, because that's how he must come. We are poor, and you hear the poor. And that is our comfort, and that is our hope and our strength this morning. Even as we've been called to this difficult calling, Lord, we thank you for Christ and for what he has done. How he, though he was in the form of God and considered it not robbery to be equal with God, yet he made himself of no reputation to save sinners like us who are by nature dead and sins and trespasses, to make us alive, to give us the Holy Spirit, to give us himself, that we might live to the praise of Christ. Lord, we can never do it to the level of which you are worthy in this life. But you've promised that we can, by the grace of God, be made more like him, be transformed into the image of Christ. And so we pray for that. Help us to live the Christian life as your people, in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing Psalter 311, all the verses. <clears throat>